And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the way you want, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry. Hey everybody, and welcome to Lupus Bits, episode 107, and I am your host, as always, Lupa. You smell that? That is me getting my happy little butt out of here in 24 days. Yes, that is the smell of October. It is cold, it is crisp. It is fall. There's no question. There's no, well, maybe it'll get warmer. Maybe we're still going to have our Indian summer. No, that's not going to happen. It is fall. It is October. It is cold. The trees are changing. They look really pretty. Um, the temperatures are dropping. Frost warnings are coming in at a rapid fire pace. And I have once again been given the opportunity to get out of Dodge before the snow. Although, according to a report that my sister read today, um, the nice weather that we have had over the last couple of days is going to disappear and um, snow's coming. <laughs> I want to be out of here before the snow falls. So, yeah, I'm going, I'm driving my mother to Florida on the 1st of November, and I'm going to stay until the 8th of November, and then I'm flying to California. So, I'm going to be in California for uh, PCE on the 13th of November. I'm so excited. Um, we're still looking for vendors. We still have vendor spots open, so hit me up. I will get you um, an application. And if you live out of state or, you know, like me, live out of country, but you still want to sponsor and you still want to support an incredible event, we do have sponsorship packages that um, you can sign up for and your business or your book or your podcast or your whatever um, will be all over our advertising, all over all over our websites, um, all over our social media pages and all over our, our um, event um, flyers as well. So again, contact me. Y'all know me, you know where to find me and I can get you all that information. Uh, you can also go to pcehd.com and I do believe that the application and the sponsorship information is all there as well. Um, as you know, uh, David took this week off due to a sudden and unexpected illness and a trip to his hospital, but, uh, I do believe he will be back in fighting form as of Monday and we will be gearing up for our October issue of, uh, the World of Myth magazine 
and we are looking for Halloween-themed art, poetry, and stories. So if you can get them all in, on, or before the deadline of the 15th, uh, we are also, um, Unwelcomed is coming out this month. Uh, I'm not sure on the exact date. I don't have my book in front of me. Um, and due to the illness, it has been delayed a week. So, uh, but that will be coming out. So keep your eye out for that. And contracts will be going out next week. Um, possibly even over the weekend. Oh, no, I think contracts have already gone out. Yeah, contracts have already gone out because I signed mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, see, even I'm the editor-in-chief. I am the editor of the anthology. And I still have to fill out a contract for my story in the anthology. So, you know, I'm nobody special. Anyway, so yeah, it's October. And it is the first week of October. So I thought, I kind of, it seems to have been a thing for the last few years that the month of October I kind of do some Halloween-themed episodes every week. I talk about urban legends. I talk about ghost stories. I would share personal experiences. I'm not sharing personal experiences this year because, as I said on the last episode or the episode before, um, I kind of keep that door closed, especially around this time of year. So, but I'm not going to deprive you of my Halloween content. <laughs> All right, so there's all the housekeeping that I can think of. Um, unfortunately, I did get a hold of Dave. And if you want a good and complete list of housekeeping, go listen to The World of Myth Bits with Tim Law. He always has stellar housekeeping. So, yeah, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so that's it. Moving on. Uh, no more announcements for you. That's it. That's all you get. Uh, sorry about missing last week. Um, I was really going to podcast. I actually attempted to podcast, but I couldn't even sit up. Um, my nephew got really, really sick uh, the week before. And, I mean, this was a long sickness. He was sick for a good five, six, day, six days. And we're talking, like... Fever of 104, um, green snot, the coughing, the, the whole body hurts, his legs hurt, everything. And then I got sick. Well, then um, my niece got sick, and then I got sick, and then my other niece got sick. And, of course, I'm going to get sick. The kids are all over me. My sister was working, so I was looking after them. And I'm with them all day. They're lying on me. They're snotting on me. <laughs> course I'm gonna get sick it was expect I expected to um and I did do a COVID test and it was negative so it was just your average run-of-the-mill really bad virus my sister did end up taking my nephew to the hospital to have him checked out and they did tell her it was just a really bad virus um he will be fine we all will be fine so but uh yeah when Tuesday rolled around I couldn't even sit up I was so exhausted I could barely stay awake. Um, it was COVID-like. I will tell you that. It was having, having had COVID, it was COVID-like. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, I asked, I said to Dave, you know, like, I, I can try. And he's like, no, you go to bed. 
So I did. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> it was like nine o'clock at night and I'm going to bed. So I apologize for last week, but here we are. We are back again and I have some fun little tidbits and, you know, this and that's for you. Um, first of all, though, I'd like to know what is your favorite Halloween tradition? What, and if you don't celebrate Halloween, that's perfectly fine. What is your favorite October tradition? Now, for Canadians, um, our Thanksgiving falls in October, and our Thanksgiving is actually this weekend. Uh, when you're listening to this, I will be picking up my granddaughter and bringing her to my sister's. And we are going to be doing a garage sale um, on the weekend, or yard sale, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, we will be doing Thanksgiving dinner Sunday night with, you know, turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and rolls. And I'm going to be uh, making a pecan pie because my sister requests me to make one every year. So I will be making one. And um, maybe two. We're going to have a good time. So, yeah, our Thanksgiving is actually this weekend. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to see if my mom's going to stay. And my brother and my sister-in-law might come up with their two kids. So it's going to be a full house. <laughs> Which is something we actually haven't had in... Since COVID started, we actually haven't had a family um, holiday together. And we won't be spending Christmas together because we are pretty much going to be scattered to the four winds. My mom's going to be in Florida. I'm going to be in California. Um, my sister and brother-in-law are going to be who knows where. So holidays are going to start to now become more and more difficult to get together. So what is your favorite October tradition? Like, What do you have to do every October? Now, in my family, with me, and when I was raising my kids, and then, you know, when I was a kid, we would always put, we'd start decorating the house for Halloween, like, the first week of October. Like, Ooh, it's October, we can start putting the Halloween stuff up. Yay! Um, and we would start with the more sedate decor decorations, um, like a wreath on the door and um, maybe some orange and black lights. And then the closer we'd get to Halloween, we'd start adding the skeletons and the pumpkins and the ghosts and the ghouls and, you know, the graveyard and the front yard and um, all of that stuff. So... That was one of my favorite traditions. Um, and we'd also have certain movies that we would watch. Hocus Pocus was one of them. And we would watch that every year. I love that movie. And now that Hocus Pocus 2 is out, my sister and I actually have plans for uh, Monday night to sit down together and watch it. So we'll be doing carrying on an old tradition with the new version. So I'm excited. So no spoilers, okay? Um, also, I like to watch 
anything paranormal I can get my hands on. Now, I watch that year-round. I like that kind of stuff year-round. So, watching it for the month of October isn't really anything new. Um, but I do like to see what new they have coming out. I might watch something a little scarier, like I'll throw in a, a Halloween here or there. Um... I like to revisit the Blair Witch Project just because it's fun. And I will, you know what? That movie was a good movie. It did creeped me out in places. Um, but the, the final scene where you see her go down into the that half cement kind of basement. That was the basement that I had when I lived in Midland, okay? The house in Midland, that was what the basement looked like. So then you've got her going down into this basement. He's standing there facing the corner and all these little handprints all over the wall. That just creeped me the hell out. And then the big jump, the, the last final jump scare of the, the whole thing. And it just, it scared the living daylights right out of me. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, will, I will watch that. Um, I've been actually watching... Um, the new series that AMC Plus has put out called Interview uh, with the Vampire. And it's a revisiting of Anne Rice's interview with the vampire, but it's told in a um, different perspective. It's the same story, but different. I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen it. Um, I know at first, um, my sister Crystal was a little hesitant going in. Um, they had changed Louis, and they had changed Lestat. They had changed, um, or not changed, but took the uh, subtext away and made it obvious. Um, certain elements of their relationship and she was a little, uh, <laughs> they changed the age of Claudia, which is perfectly fine with me. That was one of the things in the book that I was very uncomfortable with was the age of Claudia. Um, and then in the movie, she it still wasn't, it still didn't sit well with me. Um, but this version of her, um, I'm okay with, I get it. But in watching it and seeing there, it's almost like a love letter to Anne Rice and to the original book. But it's, okay, so she had, um, hang on, I need to Google them because I need them, I need them in order. Can you hear me typing? <laughs> There is a few in this series, okay? So it starts with um, Interview with a Vampire, which came out originally in 1976. And then there's The Vampire Lestat, Queen of the Damned, Tale of the Body Thief, Memnock the Devil, The Vampire Armand, Merrick, Blood and Gold, Blackwood Farm, Blood Continue. I can't pronounce it. I could never could. Prince Lestat, 
Prince Lestat and the Realms of Atlantis, Blood Communion, A Tale of Prince Lestat. Then um, there's all, all the Mayfair witches, all their stories. Um, so basically, it's kind of this book recounts what happens in Interview with a Vampire, but it's that book told so many books later after all of everything else has happened. Um, and Louis is speaking to the original interviewer, but he's older, he's crotchety, he's dying, he's, you know, same guy, same interview, but um, Louis says to him at one point, you weren't ready for that interview when you did it the first time. Let's do it again. You're ready now. And he's like, oh, so this is a do-over. So that, that kind of clears up what's kind of happening. So he's telling the same story as you get with Interview with a Vampire. Um, but... Danny's actually listening now. He's actually taking in what Louis is saying. So I'm enjoying it. I'm finding it. Um, I'm getting totally immersed in the culture. I'm getting totally immersed in the scenery. They have created uh, Storyville, like almost identical to what it was. Um, the, the, it's just incredible, the costuming. Um, Everything is right on par with the time frame that the story is being told in. So, I highly recommend it. If you are a fan, I do recommend it. Um, and Anne Rice actually was one of the executive producers on it until she died. And then Chris Rice, he is also an executive producer. So, um, the Rice family does have say in what is up there and knew what was going on, what they were doing, and she fully supported it. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I found a little tangent there, but that's okay. So, I've been enjoying that very, very much. Um, I don't know what tonight's foray into the macabre, well, no, I don't really do macabre, <laughs> I don't. Um, my foray into scaring the bejesus out of me. Um, I don't know what it's going to be tonight. Uh, I might actually even watch a couple of episodes of Supernatural because, you know, that was Halloween every day for them. I love that show. I really do. I can't get enough of it. I'm so sad it's over. Anyway, again, I'm getting distracted. It's been a really long, getting a really long day. Uh, when we thought I had like five weeks, it's now been shortened to three. So... Everything that I want to, I want to make everything as easy as possible for my sister. I don't want her struggling when I leave. That's just who I am. I'm the big sister. I take care of my siblings uh, when they let me. So I, it's not that she is expecting me to do this. And she tells me that, like, you know, you don't have to do this. I'm not expecting you to do this. You're not here to do this if you don't want to be. Like, no, no, I'm here. I want to be here. I want to help you. Trust me, I know what it's like with no support. It's kind of how I spent my life up to this point. Um, I mean, no fault of my sisters or my brothers. They are so much younger than me. So 
you know, um, but I did. I spent a lot of my life before I was married, during, while I was married, uh, with no support. So I had to do things on my own. I don't want her to ever feel like that, that she's not supported. Um, so I have three weeks <laughs> to get as much done as humanly possible and not break myself. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not worried about if I break myself. Fine. I got three days to drive to Florida, whatever. I'll be fine. Um, I don't break easy. I don't. <laughs> I'm a workhorse. I can just go and go and go and go and get up and do it again tomorrow and go and go and go. Anybody who knows me knows that. I will go until I fall down. Um, so we did, we've gotten a lot done. We're doing a yard sale this weekend and we're doing another yard sale next weekend. And then um, in between that, like as we're getting things ready for the yard sale, we're also packing. Because, I mean, there, a lot of the packing, like we're packing um, stuff that they're not using. We're sorting through the stuff in the crawl space, what they're keeping, what they're not keeping. Um, but a lot of stuff they can't really pack. We're packing away the summer clothes and, and we're cleaning off bookshelves as best we can. But, I mean, they've got three kids, so they've got to keep some of the toys. They've got to keep the clothes. They've got to keep everyday stuff. You know, so we're doing the best we can and I want to get as much done as possible before I leave. Um, still trying to figure out how I'm going to get that marble table home. Heather doesn't seem to think it'll fit in my car. I think it'll fit in my car. I just don't think I'm going to be able to carry it up the stairs because the top of it is solid marble and it doesn't come out. I thought maybe if it came out, then I could take the wood part up first and then... Just put the, the marble part on my lap and bump my butt upstairs. But uh, we'll have to see. And apparently I'm supposed to take a red chair, too. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to work that. And it's going to be just sitting in the middle of my living room until I come home from Florida. Because I say three weeks because the 21st I'm going home. The 22nd I have a wedding to go. Oh, yeah. And in between all of this, I have a magazine to put out. I have a book to finish editing. I have a cloak I have to finish making for a wedding. Sleep is highly overrated. Um, but the cloak is pretty much done, almost done. It's all sewn together for the most part. Um, it just needs the, the fine tuning to make it pretty and to make it fit. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where we are with that. Um... So it's a busy October for me, and we put up the first Halloween decoration tonight because we were pulling all the everything out of the crawl space. And, you know, there's Christmas, there's Easter, there's Thanksgiving, there's um, Halloween, there's, you name it, they decorated for it. Christmas was the big one, though. And uh, one of the Halloween decorations, a light-up pumpkin, didn't actually make it into a box or a bag or... A, a bin. It was just loose, so it's not plugged in. <laughs> it's sitting on a table um, in the uh, dining room, family room, living room, whatever room it is. I don't know. It's where the table is that we eat dinner. <laughs> it's there, sitting on a table. Um, and everyone's like, oh, we can use that as a nightlight now. I'm like, all right, sure, why not? Um, 
Okay, so I was kind of stalling to see if, you know, give my live studio audience some time to um, finish up what he was doing, uh, but he's spending some quality family time with his girls. So, you know, I will not ever, ever put myself above family time with his girls. Not even maybe. His girls and his son come first in all things. It's just how it is. So he may have to listen to this episode as he's editing. editing. That's a hard word to say. Editing. Editing. Oh, there we go. Editing it. Sheesh. Anyway. Okay. So let's get started on the uh, fun stuff. So I live in Canada. As you all know, um, I live in Ontario. Now, Ontario is, if I'm correct, what is the most, wow, most haunted province? Canada's most haunted places. Well, that's Montreal, okay, Ontario, that's Alberta, British Columbia, New Brunswick. See, these, they just went province to province. I want to know the most haunted place in Canada. The most haunted provinces in Canada. Okay, here we go. Um... I'm not listening to nothing because I'm recording. Okay, so. Oh, yeah. Gibraltar Point Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. According to a study conducted by Casino and Line, which ranked provinces based on how many haunted spots they have, Ontario, the province I live in, is the spookiest of all, with 23 known haunted locations. One of the eeriest locations is the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse, believed to be haunted by its first lighthouse keeper. The second spookiest province in the country is Alberta, where our very own Christopher Bice is from, which boasts 15 haunted spots, followed by Saskatchewan with 12, BC with 11, Quebec with 10. As for spine-shivering locations in the provinces, you want to visit the abandoned Charles Cancel Hospital in Edmonton, Alberta, the St. Louis Ghost Train in a small town in Saskatchewan, Waterfront Station in Vancouver, and Lauberge Saint-Gabriel in Quebec, which is rumored to be haunted by a little girl that died in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So I live in the most haunted province, Ontario. So, here are seven creepy urban legends that if you happen to be in Ontario, you can test out with your friends. All right, so, Ontario has some pretty serious history. Some of that history is also absolutely terrifying. I know, because I live here. We all know the classic urban legends that we used to do as kids, but did you know there are a few in Ontario? 
All right, we have got, if this page would cooperate, the McLaughlin Planetarium and Celeste. The McLaughlin Planetarium provided visitors with an acute, now this is in Toronto, with an acute look at the stars and planets whirling around Earth. Very cool. Before the building closed, some whisperings about staff members seeing a distinct little girl watching the light show by herself. They named her Celeste. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I know. I hear you. I hear you all. Others have reported hearing her giggling and scampering across hallways. The building is closed to the public and is owned by University of Toronto for storage now. But if you're feeling brave, check out the windows of the building and you might just see her. Okay, what? Hang on. Some... All right. I don't want to look at number one. Ah, number two, St. Catherine's Two-Way Cemetery in St. Catherine's, Ontario. Now, this is about 10, 15 minutes away from where I am right now. Many people who grew up in St. Catherine's heard the oft-repeated rumor that Victoria Lawn Cemetery is the only cemetery split in two by a highway. The cemetery is divided by Queenston Street, and this road was to only, was the only way to get between Niagara and St. Catharines before the QEW was built. People have said that the cemetery used to be one, but no one knows what they did with the bodies when they paved the road. Number three. I don't know what's going on. The page keeps jumping. So you'll have to bear with me. I don't know if it's my mouse. What? The page keeps jumping. Number three, the director that will never quit, again in Toronto, Ontario. The Royal Ontario Museum, or as we like to call it, the ROM, was once once run by director Charles Trick Carell. Apparently his passion for the museum is still strong today. Workers have reported sightings of Corel stalking the halls from time to time at the East Asiatic Collection. Asiatic Collection Encounters such as shoulder taps and voices have also occurred. You'll definitely want to check out the ROM with a friend or two. All right, number four. The Hermitage Ruins in Ancaster, Ontario. This old residence, built in the 1800s, is seriously creepy. Otto Ives was the man who owned the residence. Legend has it that one of the residents was Ives' niece, and she fell in love with the coachman. When the coachman asked Ives for permission, he declined, and the coachman was found dead hanging from the rafters of the barn that was on the land. Some people say they can feel his presence around the neighborhood. Lake Ontario. <laughs> now this one's going to make you giggle. This is also in Toronto. I've been swimming in Lake Ontario. You've heard me talk about Lake Ontario, but did you know that it also has a secret underwater UFO base? Lake Ontario can be home to strange things. But have you ever heard bizarre orbs or lightning patterns that can be seen quite regularly? Take a look at this video, there's a video here, of abnormal lights above North York and be your own judge. I've seen a few strange things in my time. Carrollton County Jail in Ottawa, Ontario. 
Ottawa's most haunted hostel is said to be one of Canada's most haunted buildings. It was originally a maximum security prison. The prison closed and reopened just a year later to tourists who could stay the night. This hostel is not for the faint of heart. There have been reports of the ghost of Patrick James Whalen appearing at the foot of guests' beds while they're sleeping. No, thank you. Number seven, the ghost of Alma College in St. Thomas, Ontario. The creepy college was actually the location of terrifying horror movie Silent Hill. Yes, yes it was. The ghost known as Angela is known to haunt the students and the school by taunting them. All the remains all that remains of the building today is the front gate and the chapel. Definitely would stop by that one. I may actually have to go there just because, you know, the ground, the ground actually smokes like in Silent Hill. That's a thing. There's an underground fire that's been burning for years and years and years. It's kind of cool. So those are seven creepy urban legends that you can actually check out in Ontario. Now, I'm going to tell you 13 creepy facts you didn't know about Canada. Let's see what we're doing for time. All right. We've got lots of time. Lots of time. Lots of time. Okay. So from the Screaming Tunnel of Niagara Falls, which is not far from me, you have to go check it out, to the Phantoms of Old Montreal, the Great White North has more than its share of spooky lore and legends. To get you into the Halloween spirit and bring you to bring you out in goosebumps, We've rounded up 13 scary things you didn't know about Canada. This is at readersdigest.ca. Canadian lake monsters abound. You've heard the tales of curious travelers flocking to Scotland in the hopes of catching a glimpse of the famous Loch Ness Monster. But did you know that Nessie isn't the only sea monster mystery worthy of attention? Turns out Scotland's elusive serpent has plenty of Canadian competition. Native Canadian legends and current-day believers speak of lake monsters playing hide-and-seek in British Columbia, Lake Okanagan's Okapogo, Manitoba, Lake Manitoba's Manipogo, and Quebec, Lake Champlain's Champy, and Lake Mephramagog's Mephri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were an original for names. Um, okay, here's a little creepy thing. The Lemp Mansion. Okay, where did it go? Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. What is this? Oh, it's just a video. Okay, never mind. We'll just carry on. I'll read, I'll, I'll read it to you later. Okay, so did you know that you can stay the night in a haunted jail cell? Night terrors or sweet dreams? Take your pet cat. High Ottawa Jail Hostel. This imposing building in the heart of Canada's capital served as the Carleton County Jail from 1862 to 1972, the year I was born. Hidden behind its dank walls lie many secrets and apparently several ghosts. Many prisoners spent their last days here locked behind bars, and a select few even gasped their final breaths from the hangman's noose. Mm. Today, the former jail's gallows still shock and terrify visitors. But don't let a little spookiness get in the way of a good night's sleep. Travelers could catch 40 winks in a private or shared jail cell and enjoy the meals, pub, and Wi-Fi that this unique hospital hostel offers. Number three, there are plenty of scary-sounding 
places in Ontario. Canada has some creepy-sounding communities lurking within its borders. Travelers may feel their hair stand on end when passing through the chillingly named Blood Vein River, Poison Creek, Burnt Arm, Destructive Bay, Goblin, Skull Creek, Hatchet Cove, Bone Town, Gore Bay, and Coffin Cove. <laughs> Number four. Crime always spikes on Halloween in Canada. I don't know why. Police services across Canada report a general increase in the number of criminal incidents on October 31st, most notably a 50% spike in weapons-related crimes. Looks like there's more tricking than treating going on during All Hallows' Eve. It's because everybody's in costume. Phantoms of Old Montreal. Old Montreal is believed around the world, is beloved around the world. Now, yes, it is called Old Montreal is beloved around the world for its beautiful architecture and quaint cobbled streets. It's also notorious for its plethora of supernatural residents, tortured souls who met their untimely demise through misadventure, criminal events, or public ex executions, are said to wander the streets and sites of old Montreal, including St. Gabriel's, the city's oldest inn, home to the ghost of a little girl who perished in a fire, and Place Jacques Cartier, where the decapitated ghost of murdered prostitute Mary Gallagher searches for her lost head. And that's an urban legend in Canada, actually. It's a ghost story we would tell around the campfires as kids when we were at Girl Guide Camp or, you know, school trips. And you would tell the ghost of Mary's, you would tell the story of Mary's head. And, you know, that you could hear her moaning in the night, where's my head? And of course, after everybody had gone to bed and it was all quiet, there would be that one kid that would holler out, where's my head? <laughs> yeah, and depending on how well he did it, he either scared the pants off you or made the entire campsite laugh. Okay, Calgary's Hose and Hound Pub is the HQ for ghostly monkey business. Serving as a fire hall from 1907 to 1952, the building played host to Calgary's first fire chief, Cappy Smart. The chief adored animals and kept a horse and a monkey on site as part of his menagerie. After an unprovoked attack on a small child, Barney the monkey was put down. Following Barney's death, the establishment became a hotbed of paranormal activity. Firehouse and pub employees have witnessed objects sailing through the air, slamming doors, electrical disturbances, and other unexplained mischief-making within the structure's walls. Hmm. I'm thinking Bernie's not too happy to be dead. There's one job that's always in demand in Canada. Some jobs come and go. For job security, join the funeral biz, which is now a booming $1.6 billion industry in Canada. At Statistics Canada's last count, more than 16,000 Canadians were employed in funeral services. going to open that and read that after. Number eight. 19th century Quebec legend warns residents about the frightful Loup Garou, a vicious, snarling werewolf prowling through the province's dense forests. According to French-Canadian folklore, 
Loop-Garou creeps through the darkness searching for a hearty meal of unsuspecting hunters and trappers. So if you are neither one of those, you are perfectly fine. Number nine. Ah, shenanigans in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Screams and cries bouncing off the walls of the Hockey Hall of Fame building aren't coming from Toronto's dr disgruntled Maple Leaf fans. The creepy noises, flickering lights, and window slamming are the work of a ghost named Dorothy. In 1953, when the structure was a bustling branch of the Bank of Montreal, 19-year-old Dorothy worked as a teller. After a love affair gone wrong, the despondent woman shot herself in the second-floor bathroom. Since her suicide, phantom footsteps, eerie noises, and even a ghostly pat on the shoulder have left visitors and employees spooked. Mm-hmm. Number 10. The Burning Ship of Northumberland Strait. Countries around the world have tales of unearthly ghost ships sailing along their shores. Canada's spine-tingling watercraft goes one better. It's fully engulfed in flames from bow to stern, blazing its path along the Northumberland Strait between Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. The multi-masted schooner seems to appear when a storm is on the approach, almost like a ghostly early warning system. Number 11. In 2017, Canadians shelled out more than $550 million on Halloween candy. Mm -hmm. Niagara Falls has a screaming tunnel. No, the screaming tunnel isn't a new amusement park ride to entice Niagara Falls tourists. The 40-meter passageway was originally constructed in the early 1900s as a path for railroad cars. Today, it stretches beneath train lines that connect Niagara Falls to Toronto and New York City. According to local legend, if you enter the tunnel after midnight and light a match, the flame will mysteriously extinguish while screams of a young female ring in your ears. This unsettling paranormal activity is reportedly connected to the grisly death of a young girl who was set ablaze inside the tunnel. Mm-hmm. A stroll through Kingston, Ontario's McBurney Park isn't your typical walk in the park. Underneath the grassy surface lie thousands of buried bodies. In 1819, the land was the upper burial ground and served as a resting place for Kingston's dead until 1864. By the 1880s, city officials had constructed a park on top of the burial plots to make the area more appealing to the area's growing residential population. Unfortunately, the dead had other ideas. Over the years, gravestones and bones have popped out of the ground at McBurney Park, spooking unsuspecting visitors and earning the area a fitting yet freaky nickname, Skeleton Park. Makes complete and total sense to me. So... I tell you, you know, I always do this every year. This is why we celebrate Halloween in the first place. Modern Halloween is basically an excuse to dress up in outrageous costumes, load up on candy, and deck out the yard with spooky decorations. But long before Halloween became a family-centered day for tricks and treats, okay, mostly treats, its origins verged more on the scary side. 
Most people believe the roots of Halloween can be traced back about 2,000 years to the Celtic Pagan Summer's End Festival of Samhain, which landed on November 1st. During that time, the Celts believed spirits would pass through the physical world and potentially ruin their crops. To protect their harvests, families would leave out food and drinks as offerings to the spirits, and people would often disguise themselves in white with blackened faces in hopes of blending in with the ghosts. After the Romans conquered the Celts and started spreading Christianity, they likely figured flat-out banning pagan holidays like Samhain would lead to pushback, so scholars believe they instead combined those traditions with Catholic celebrations in hopes of phasing them out. Around the 9th century, the Christian feast day for martyrs was moved from May 13th to the time of Samhain and was renamed Feast of All Saints. On October 31st, the night before the festival, churches would hold a vigil for All Hallows' Eve. Hallows was another word for saints, which was later shortened to Halloween. Eventually, the two celebrations became even more entwined. During the Christian All Souls' Day, poor people would go souling, saying prayers for others' deceased loved ones in exchange for pastries called soul cake. That represented being saved from purgatory, a church-friendly substitute for leaving food out for evil spirits. By the 1800s, the tradition was turned into a fun activity called guising, with children giving up performance of jokes, poetry readings, or music to earn rewards like fruit and money. You can keep up the tradition with these corny Halloween jokes, but I'm not going to. Irish immigrants even brought modernized versions of guising to North America, which morphed into trick-or-treating as we know it today. The days of hiding from real evil spirits might be long gone, but the fun of dressing up as ghosts lives on. My niece actually wants to be a ghost this year for Halloween. Mm-hmm. thought that was kind of funny. Um, let's see. I want to move on. All right, fine. So we did the spookiest, we did urban legends in Canada. So now apparently the U.S. has to do one better and they have one for every state. So whether you dismiss urban legends as children's lore or believe they're based in fact, these 50 tales will send a shiver down your spine. It says up your spine, but I say down your spine. Decide for yourself which one of these urban legends from across the U.S. is most terrifying. All right, number one, Huggin' Molly. This is Alabama. The legend of Huggin' Molly is clearly a tool used by parents to get their children to obey the rules. The story, native to Abbeville, Abbeville, tells of a phantom woman who appears to children if they stay out late at night. She grips the lingering child tightly and screams in their ear. She's not meant to cause death, just one hell of a fright. Mm-hmm. Number two. This one is from Alaska. The Kalupalak. Kalupalak? I don't know. An Inuit version of a mermaid or siren calls to children who are wandering too close to the seashore with her humming, then takes them away in her baby pouch. The greenish woman-like creature will never return a child once taken into the depths. Sounds like a good way to convince your kids not to go in the water. Number three, Arizona, Slaughterhouse Canyon. Also known as Luana's Canyon, Slaughterhouse Canyon tells the gruesome tale of a 19th century gold miner 
who failed to come home to his family one night. Without his earnings, the mother and her children couldn't buy food and began to starve. When she couldn't stand it any longer, the wife chopped her kids into pieces, tossed them into the nearby river, and died of despair. Her cries can still be heard echoing through the canyon. Number four, the Gurdon Light. Now, this is in Arkansas. Like many urban legends, the story of the Gurdon Light has several variations. In one, a railroad worker was hit by a train and decapitated. His spirit can still be seen today searching for his lost light. In another, the railroad worker bore a violent grudge against his boss who had fired him. He murdered his former employer with a railroad spike, and the victim now wanders the tracks. While the Gurdon Light is well documented, no one has been able to offer an explanation as to what it really is. Mm-hmm. Alan? Dave? Any idea? Charman of San Antonio Creek. So this is California, and this is Charman of San Antonio Creek. Per local lore, a father and son were trapped in a horrible fire. The father perished then before help could arrive, and the traumatized son lost his mind. This kind of explains why Dave has this strange obsession with Freddy Krueger. He skinned his father and then ran into the forest. Now, known forever as Charman, his blackened, burnt body is said to attack motorists on Creek Road in O.J.? 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 I don't know. And he seeks more human skins. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I kind of wish my... Um, Live studio audience would have been listening right now because I asked them about it. The Ridge Home Asylum. This is Colorado. All right, Linda, this one's for you. The Ridge Home Asylum was a real faculty that opened in Arvada in 1912. It reportedly housed patients who were horribly mistreated, some of whom weren't even mentally incapable, but had just been forsaken by their family. Though it was demolished in 2004, People say they can still hear the screams and see the apparitions of former patients on the grounds. Number seven, Dudley Town, Connecticut. The misfortunes. Blah, 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 blah. Let's try it again. The misfortunes that have occurred in Dudley Town are so terrible and numerous that its nickname is the Village of the Damned. A now completely deserted town is said to have been home to many suicides, disappearances and even demonic activity. It is believed that the founders of the village, and by extension the village itself, are forever cursed. These... Mm-hmm. All right, Fort Delaware. Delaware, obviously. A prisoner camp during the Civil War, Fort Delaware in Delaware City was ultimately home to more than 30,000 Confederate soldier inmates. The few thousand that died before they could leave the Union Fort are said to still haunt the area. Captain Tony's in Florida. Hmm. I have to check this one out. Oh, my God. Since 1852, Captain Tony's, the oldest saloon in Key West, has been known to be haunted. Doors slam for no apparent reason, and there are inexplicable banging noises and frequent ghostly visitations. Perhaps that's because it's the site of the town's original morgue and was built around a tree that the town once used for hanging pirates. Well, yeah, you know. 
The Song of the South, Georgia. As the story goes, in 1848, Ellick and his wife, Betsy, both slaves, were in their home one night when their master, drunk and belligerent, crashed open the door. He attempted to attack Betsy, but Ellick fought him off. Undeterred, the master chased Ellick up a ladder into a loft. As the struggle continued, the master lost his balance, fell out of the loft, and died. Even though Ellick turned himself into the sheriff the next morning, explaining that what happened was in self-defense, he was still charged with murder, par for the course in the antebellum south. Ellick was imprisoned in the old Lawrenceville jail and later executed unjustly for the crime. People say they can still hear his sorrowful song traveling through the walls of the old jail. Hawaii, Pali Highway. Pele, the Hawaiian volcano goddess, has many myths attached to her name. One tells of her ill-fated union with the demigod Kamapua, blah, 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 okay, who was half pig, half human. The two supernatural beings had a terrible breakup, agreeing to never see each other again. That's why, as urban legend has it, if you carry pork with you when you travel over the Pali Highway in Oa, 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 your car will come to an inexplicable halt. Next time you're in the area, we advise sticking to chicken. Water Babies of Massacre Rocks, Idaho. The urban legend is about starvation and infanticide, so if you're squeamish, you might want to skip ahead. I'll give you a minute. Okay, you were warned. When famine hit the local area of Ponticello, Pocatello, mothers resorted to drowning their babies in the river instead of letting them starve to death. It is said that those babies turned into fish-like imps, whose new mission was to trick or even murder people. Bachelor's Grove Cemetery, Illinois. Often referred to as one of the most haunted graveyards in America, the 82-plot cemetery is known as the home of many phantom sightings, from a ghostly white lady to an ephemeral white farmhouse, people who have visited the site have seen numerous inexplicable illusions. Indiana, 100 Steps Cemetery. He visit the cemetery in the town of Brazil and climb the 100 steps in the total darkness of night. Legend has it you'll see the ghost of the original caretaker appear before you on the top of the hill. He will give you a preview of he will give you a preview of what your own death will look like. No, thank you. Iowa, Stony Hollow Road. As the saying goes, a woman scorned is not someone you want to mess with. Lucinda of the town of Burlington is no different. Legend says that when her fiancé failed to meet her there, as promised one night, she threw herself off the bluffs along Stony Hollow Road. Ever since, her ghost has appeared to countless people. What's worse is that if she leaves a rose at your feet, you are destined to die within 24 hours. Or so the story goes. Kansas, Molly's Hollow. The urban legend of Molly's Hollow speaks to the United States' racist history. As the legend goes, when the local townsfolk found out that Molly, an African-American woman, was involved with a white man, she was lynched. People claim her spirit is still there, screaming at night. Hogan's Fountain, Kentucky. 
In Cherokee Park, you'll find Hogan's Fountain, which features a statue of Pan, the pastoral yet devious Greek god. At every full moon, some versions say every night at midnight, the figure of Pan wanders the park, causing mischief for passers-by. Well, that's not scary. Pan's fun. Louisiana, the Carter Brothers. Back in the early 1930s, a young woman escaped from the home of the Carter Brothers in New Orleans with slash marks on her wrist. She told the police that the brothers were feeding off of her blood. The cops stormed the French Quarter residence where they found more young women in similar states, their blood draining out of their bodies. The brothers, now thought to be vampires, were captured and executed, only for it to be discovered years later that their crypts were empty. Ooh, interesting. Where am I? There we are. Okay. Maine, Seguin Island Lighthouse. Like many urban legends, the one in Maine has to do with isolation. As legend has it, in the 1800s, the caretaker of the Seguin Island Lighthouse and his wife were the only two people living on the tiny spit of land. They naturally grew increasingly bored and isolated. The caretaker bought a piano so his wife could play it to keep them both entertained. But she only knew one song. The insufferable repetition of the same tune combined with a severe sense of isolation drove the husband mad. He took an axe, of all things, chopped the piano and his wife into bits, and then killed himself. Or so the story goes. Big Liz and the Greenbrier Swamp, Maryland. During the Civil War, Big Liz, a very large woman, was a slave who became a spy for the Union troops. But her espionage was found out by her master, who decided to exact revenge. As the urban legend goes, he took Big Liz to Greenbrier Swamp so she could help him bury a treasure. Big Liz dug the hole and was sub sub subsequently decapitated by her evil master, who threw her body into the grave she had just unwittingly dug for herself. It is said that if you travel to that spot during the dead of night, you will see her spirit there, attempting to lure you into the murky swamp. The Ghost of Sheriff George Corwin, Massachusetts When you think of haunted locales in the United States, Salem is no doubt one of the top places that comes to mind. A key character in the Salem Witch Trials, Sheriff Corwin, was the most infamous and brutal when it came to interrogating and handling accused witches, earning himself the nickname The Strangler for his torturous methods. A building called the Joshua Ward House. The Joshua Ward House now stands on top of the land where Corwin lived and died, and many people say that they've seen him in the windows or even felt his hands pressing down around their necks. When they're inside the space. <laughs> hmm. The name Rouge, Michigan. This is one of the urban legends still recognized today. It is celebrated by the people of Detroit every year. They say there is a devilish creature known as the name Rouge, French for red dwarf, who causes mayhem in the city. He's thought to be seen when disaster is about to strike and is even said to be the reason for the Cadillac Company's downfall in the city. Hmm. Number 23. Minnesota, the Wendigo. If you watch Supernatural, you've heard this one. 
The Wendigo is a creature of Native American folklore that is thought to be the result of cannibalism. A person will turn into a Wendigo, a fang-bearing creature that is tall, skeletal, and hairy, if they resort to eating another human being. Mm-hmm. Will you fall prey to the glowing eyes and snake-like tongue of the Wendigo? Mississippi, the Witch of Yazoo. While living on the Yazoo River, an old woman allegedly lured boatsmen to their deaths with her magic. One day, the local sheriff chased her into a swamp, and as she drowned in quicksand, she put a curse upon the town. In 20 years, she said she would return to set the city aflame. Eerily, in 1904, the city was hit with massive fire, believed to be the work of the witch. The next day, when people went to visit her grave in the Glenwood Cemetery, they saw that the chain links around her grave had been broken. Boy, so the urban legend goes. And that's kind of how they buried what they perceived to be as witches, is they would put the witch into the cemetery and they would put the um, monument on top of the witch. And then they would put steel um, posts, four steel wrought iron posts on the four corners and then chain all the way around so that she couldn't get out. Bless chain. The Landers Theater, Missouri. The Landers Theater in Springfield is supposedly beyond haunted. From fires to stabbings to occasional deaths, this theater has seen it all. Locals and performers have allegedly have alleged that they've seen the ghosts of the people believed to have perished there, including the janitor that was said to have died during the 1920 fire. Hmm. Montana, the haunting of Chico Hot Springs Hotel. The mysterious Lady in White supposedly roams the corridors of the Chico Hot Springs Hotel in prey, scaring guests and staff members. People have reportedly seen the ghost of a woman in white, many times leading them into room 349, only to find an empty rocking chair swaying back and forth. Her rocking chair is sometimes found in other rooms as well, always facing the window, no matter the position the last person left it in. Hmm. Nebraska, the Hatchet House. The legend of the Hatchet House of Portal reminds us of those scary ghost stories that we used to tell each other at camp. As the legend goes, a schoolteacher from long ago went insane and decapitated all of her students in the one-room schoolhouse. Afterward, she placed their heads on their respective desks and took all of their hearts to a nearby bridge. She threw the organs into the water, and people say you can still hear the hearts beating if you cross it, hence its name, Heartbeat Bridge. Nevada, the aliens at Area 51. Publicly known as the place where the military tests out some of its most advanced weapons and technology, conspiracy theorists suspect that it's also where the U.S. government stashes the UFOs it doesn't want us knowing about. Hmm. Okay. Uh, New Hampshire, the legend of Chocorua. Mount Chocorua was named after a Native American chief who lived in the early 1700s. Legend has it that he left his son with the Campbell family while he went away on tribal business. While under the family's car, his son died, perhaps accidentally, perhaps not. To exact revenge, Chief Chokokura killed the white man's wife and children. When the surviving Campbell chased Chokokura to the top of a mountain and shot him dead, 
but not before the chief had placed a terrible curse upon the land. It is said that the land, now known as Chokokura Lake, Conser Lake Conservancy, will inflict suffering and death on anyone who tries to live there or drink from its waters. New Jersey, the ghost boy of Clinton Road. I charge my watch. Freaking myself out. My watch just vibrated on my wrist and I jumped about two feet. The ghost of a young boy is said to reside beneath one of the bridges on this road in Passaic County in northern New Jersey. As the legend goes, he's quite helpful, not to mention honest. If you drop a coin into the water, he will return it to you within 24 hours. It has become a rite of passage for local teens to go and test it out. New Mexico, UFO crash at Roswell. In 1947, something big, really, really big, crashed on a ranch northwest of Roswell. Members of the U.S. military quickly came to retrieve the debris, which led some to believe that it was something they wanted to cover up. UFO, perhaps? Adding to the mystery, Jesse Marcel, Jr., son of the military officers charged with clearing the site, later described the debris he saw his father bring home as being made of lead foil with I-beams. According to Roswell UFO Museum, he recalled the writing on the I-beams as purple, strange, never saw anything like it, different geometric shapes, leaves, and circles. The U.S. government maintains it was a weather balloon that crashed. <laughs> Isn't it always a weather balloon? Ah, now there is actually a documentary on Prime, I think it is, about Cropsey. The Legend of Cropsey, New York. Staten Island's Cropsey has been a local legend for decades and gained national attention when the documentary of the same name was released. The story goes that Cropsey had a hook for a hand and was a patient at the Willowbrook State School. He would come out late at night to hunt and chase local kids with his hook hand. In truth, a series of child murders did take place in that area of Staten Island in the 1970s and the 1980s. North Carolina, the beast of Bladen, Bladenboro. Many regions of the United States have their own urban legends of a story about a mutant creature in the woods who kills viciously and indiscriminately. In North Carolina, it's the beast of Bladenboro. Described by locals as a panther-like, bloodthirsty killer lurking in the darkness. It is said to have attacked numerous dogs and even people, so watch your back. Why can't they just have normal names? North Dakota, the Mini-Washitu, the Mini-Washitu, oh, I can say that one. The next time you're on the banks of the Missouri River in North Dakota, keep an eye out for the Mini-Washitu of North Dakota, a giant, red, hairy monster with sharp spikes along its back, a horn, and only one eye. If you look at it, blindness, insanity, and death are said to soon follow. So, on second thought, don't keep an eye out for it. Ohio, Gore Orphanage. In the 1800s, there was a deadly fire in the aptly named Gore Orphanage in Lorain County. Tragically, every single orphan in the institute perished. Locals say if you visit the site where the orphanage stood, you can still see the ghosts of the dead children, hear them playing, or smell their burning flesh. It was great up until that part. Shaman's Portal, Oklahoma. Also called Oklahoma's Bermuda Triangle, 
people have allegedly disappeared into thin air upon setting foot on these dunes in beaver sands. It's believed that a UFO crashed here, opening a door to another world. The Bandage Man, Oregon. The ghost of a man who was supposedly chopped into bits at a sawmill terrifies Oregon residents to this day. They call him the Bandage Man because, well, his entire body is wrapped in bloody bandages. Mostly, he is said to attack people who drive through or park their cars in Cannon Beach. Eastern State Penitentiary, and if you have watched Penn State uh, Paranormal Society, if you have watched Ghost Hunters, if you have watched Ghost Adventures, if you have watched Ghost Brothers, if you have watched the Tennessee Wraith Chasers, if you have watched Tindred Spirits, if you have watched any paranormal show at all, even movies on found footage, if you have watched Supernatural, you know about Eastern State Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. The Eastern State Penitentiary of Pennsylvania is a real place that was shut down due to its exceptional cruelty towards inmates. Each cell and chamber has its own set of hauntings and terrible tales, and walking through it is supposed to feel like walking through the pit of hell yourself. If you're the type who likes to experience the macabre, you can take a tour on Halloween. You must sign a liability waiver before entering, though. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, 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 no. Rhode Island, Fingernail Freddy. If this sounds familiar, it's because the Rhode Island legend of Fingernail Freddy is supposedly the inspiration for the Nightmare on Elm Street. In this version, Fingernail Freddy is a wild woodsman with insanely long fingernails who comes out at night to attack campers with his talons. South Carolina, the legend of Lavinia Fisher. I know this one. Known as America's first female serial killer, Lavinia Fisher was certainly not dainty about her kills. In the 1800s, she and her husband John ran an inn where they had the unfortunate habit of killing off many of their guests. They would poison their guests, and when the poor person had fallen asleep, drop them down a trapdoor. One victim managed to escape, and the two were found out, resulting in their execution. People say that the ghost of Lavinia Fisher haunts the Charleston jail where she was executed. And if you have watched Ghost Adventures, you will know the last words that Lavinia said when she was asked, do you have any last words, were, tell the devil I'm coming, or something to that effect. And, um... When Ghost Adventures did their investigation, they actually got that phrase. I mean, it's in all the lore books, all the, the history books of Lavinia Fisher. Um, let me Google, and I will tell you exactly what was... I can't spell tonight. Lavinia Fisher's last words. Um... Believing that she would be pardoned up until the moment she was hanged, Lavinia, according to legend, used her last breath to scream, If any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now, for I shall be seeing him shortly. Then jumped off the stand and killed herself. Hmm. So, they got, um, Zach asked a question, 
um, and basically said, you know, what were who were your last words directed to, or what were your last words? And he got back the devil. It was kind of cool. It was it was creepy. So yeah, Lavinia Fisher, Walking Sam, South Dakota. Walking Sam of South Dakota is a bit like the notorious figure from the Slenderman video games. An unnaturally tall, skinny, and creepy character. Those who cross, pat, cross his paths are induced to commit suicide. And his favorite prey is young teens, who are, well, kids are already messed up. Skinned Tom, Tennessee. As the story goes, in the 1920s, a young man named Tom once took his lady friend to the local lover's lane. He didn't know it, but the woman he was so enamored with was, in fact, married. Her husband found the two canoodling in their car, murdered his wife, and then skimmed Tom alive. People say Tom still hangs around Lover's Lane, ready to kill those who dare commit adultery. The Lechuza, Texas. In South Texas, after you've had a beer or two, you'll need to be on the lookout for the Lechuza. Depending on the version being told, this incredibly large owl is either a bruja, witch, or a familiar woman by day, bird by night. Her child was killed by a drunk, so she is on the prowl, looking to take revenge on bar patrons stumbling out on the street after closing time. The Curse of the Escalante Petrified Forest, Utah. Visitors to Escalante Petrified Forest in the Black Hills of Utah are cautioned to leave what they find behind. Legend has it that anyone who takes so much as a rock or a piece of wood will suffer intense misfortunes. Car accidents, broken bones, and even job loss are said to have befallen those who dared to ignore the warning. The Brattleboro Retreat Tower, Vermont. Built as a part of an insane asylum in the late 1800s, the Brattleboro Retreat Tower was soon closed off after a number of patients supposedly committed suicide by flinging themselves from the top. The tower remains standing today, and people say that if you dare to visit it, you'll see ghosts plunging to their deaths over and over again, like an old tape replaying itself. Virginia, Bunny Man Bridge. Well, that sounds friendly. As the story goes, in 1904, some of the most dangerous patients from an insane asylum in Clifton, Virginia, were being moved to a prison when the bus crashed on Fairfax Station Bridge. Oh, dear. The inmates attempted to escape, but only one was successful. He left a trail of dead, skinned, half-eaten rabbits hanging many from the bridge that was the scene of the crash. Then, on Halloween night of that very same year, several teens hanging out under the bridge were attacked at the stroke of midnight and met the same fate as the bunnies. Oh dear, that's not very nice. Maltby's 13 Steps to Hell, Washington. Oh, they're going up Parliament Hill or something? <laughs> in Maltby Cemetery, in Maltby, you'll find a set of 13 steps leading down into an underground crypt. Legend has it that anyone who makes the regrettable decision of climbing down those steps will be met with a vision of hell so terrifying it will drive them to insanity. Hmm. I was wondering when I'd get to this one. West Virginia, the Mothman. Yes, 
This is the same Mothman from the movie The Mothman Prophecies. The final scene of that movie is a retelling of a take on an event that actually happened in 1967. The silver bridge that connects Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Gallopolis, Ohio, collapsed at the height of rush hour, killing 46 people. According to legend, it was the Mothman, the great bringer of death, who caused the accident. Number 49, the bloody headstone at Riverside Cemetery, Wisconsin. A local woman by the name of Kate Blood, fitting, right, is said to have killed her husband and three children, after which she committed suicide. Her headstone at Riverside Cemetery in Appleton allegedly drips with blood every full moon. Though, if you do visit, a glance at her headstone will quickly debunk the legend. She was outlived by her husband and her only child. Number 50. We are off to Wyoming, people, to the jackalope. A large bunny creature with antelope horns is a well-known character in Wyoming's culture, history, and landscape. Some people say that they have most definitely seen it while others shrug it off as fairy tale. What do you think? <laughs> All right, let me see before I... Uh... Okay, so I'm going to do this last one, and then we'll save... Um... Okay, so then we're going to do a little debunking. Before modern science, most premonitions didn't leave much room for second-guessing. However, some still hold for the very superstitious today. Black cats. Long ago, visitors to English homes were expected to greet the family cat with a kiss to bring good luck. And in the 16th century, it was white cats that were a sign of bad luck. Not like today's belief that black cats crossing your path means misfortune. More cat lore around the world. In Scotland, if a black cat happened to appear on the doorstep, the family believed their wealth would increase. In Italy, fishermen's wives kept company with black cats to prevent disasters at sea. And back in the day, some folks thought a cat sneezes forecasted rain, while others believed unusually playful behavior signaled a storm was brewing. Well, those are old wives' tales. Rainbows are mostly thought of as a positive symbol. Though in parts of Scotland and Ireland, rainbows whose ends touch down within the same town or island foretold death. It's also still believed in some places that to point a finger at a rainbow, the moon or the stars is bad luck, since at one time celestial bodies were thought of as gods and pointing at them was deemed disrespectful. Just remember, I was always taught when you point one finger at somebody, there is always three fingers pointing back. Comets were commonly believed to precede great events. Shooting stars, on the other hand, were thought by some cultures to foretell ordinary people's deaths. Since the belief that each person had a star in the sky representing his soul. Interesting. Itching, tingling, or feeling a warmth of warmth in your ears is thought to mean someone is talking about you. Particular associations have been made for each ear. The right means the words being spoken are good, while sensations in the left meant the opposite. Grimly, ringing in the ears was believed to predict the death of someone else, someone close. 
While some people prophesize weather based on cloud formations, like high scattered clouds, known as macro sky, meant to safeguard from rain for at least 12 hours, others rely on color. Greenish rain clouds meant more rain is to come, while green after sunset meant gales were headed your way. Red foretold both good and bad based on the time of day. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red, oh, an evening red sky predicted favorable weather for the following day. Well, morning meant to prepare for bad weather. See, I just told you that. And number six, holding your breath. And I have done this since I was knee high to a grasshopper. When passing graveyards, children in North America, Europe, and other parts of the world held their breath for fear they'd breathe in the souls of the recently deceased. British and French persons held the common belief that the keeper of the graveyard was the soul of the last person buried in it. It was this soul's job to keep watch until the next person was laid to rest. In an alternate telling, the first person in a parish to pass, to pass on was thought to keep watch for the following 12 months. Interesting. So that is your um, meanings of common omens and urban legends and stuff like that. Um, I think I'm going to wrap it up for this week. We are an hour 20 in and I'm going to save some of the good stuff for next week too. So have a good week, everybody. Uh, stay safe, stay warm and enjoy the fall colors. And remember, wash your hands. Don't look shit. See y'all next week. See ya. Carry on all the way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.